I'm sitting down with my friend Andy today, and we're going to be talking about something that she actually introduced to me that I had never heard of before, and that is scrupulosity. I'm saying it right, correct, Andy? Yes. Okay. Since this isn't something that's really well known, define it for me. It's not something I have. Okay. So scrupulosity is actually a form of OCD. So there's a lot of different kinds of obsessive compulsive disorders. And scrupulosity happens to be one that is more fixated on perfection, honesty. Um, It's a type of religious scrupulosity, although you don't even have to necessarily be of a particular faith. It could be anyone could struggle with this. Maybe you have a hyper overzealousness to honesty or you're just really a perfectionist. Is there a time that you can say that it really kind of reared its head? Um, You know, some of my earlier memories clear back in elementary school, I started to write my name on a piece of paper. And if I didn't write it perfectly, I would crumple it. And pretty soon there was just papers everywhere. I had to have my name written with exactness. It had to be perfect. So I think I had some characteristics or some early signs of OCD just as a young child. And then I am of the LDS faith. And I think a lot of things that I was taught in our faith, it was just so overzealous the way I approached and my perceptions of of things that I was learning, certain scriptures, certain phrases. I had a lot of trigger words. And I was on this quest for perfection. So because I was a perfectionist, it just exploded in my life. And definitely by the age of 19 and into my 20s, I really started to struggle with my scrupulosity. Did you see it as a problem at the time? I know that sounds a silly question to say because often we are ignorant to our issues because they're just part of us. They're part of our life. You know, it, it's just me is kind of a way to express that. Well, it's it's just me. I'm just like right. this. So did you see it as a problem at all at that age? Or, or did, were you just like, yeah, I'm like this? Yeah, I just thought I was like that. I had no idea that I even suffered necessarily with OCD. I did have anxiety. I got some panic attacks. I did suffer from some depression. So I knew I had some mental illness issues, but I never really identified OCD is this big issue that I have had and certainly not scrupulosity. I didn't even know what that was. I had a sister just a few years or so ago pointed out, she goes, Andy, I've been reading up a lot on these things that you talk to me about and that you go into and explain. And she goes, I think you have a form of OCD called scrupulosity. And that's the first time that I had heard that term. And so I started researching and looking into it as well. As you and I have talked and we've got to know each other better. It's one of these things that as I listen to you and as I listen to how it unfolds, how it presents, I'm constantly going, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. I'm one of these people that I want everything to be sensible anyway. Right. But when you can see cause and effect so clearly, that right there is is the swayer for me to... I'll go ahead and say believe in something. It's clear. It's evident. I can see cause and effect. I can mm-hmm. see exactly how this unfolds and how it, right. how it plays out. Because I was LDS growing up. My mother is still LDS. And so I have a lot of LDS reference and seeing how things unfold. The cause and effect is very clear for me. Yeah, I think in the LDS faith, at least the way I was raised, we were always on a quest for perfection. That That is actually kind of a term that we are striving to become like our Heavenly Father and our Savior. So we are striving for this perfection. So I think people that have maybe a healthier mind are able to learn things and learn concepts, and they're fine with it. Like my spouse, for instance, he can sit through conference talks or go to church and nothing triggers him in a negative way. Nothing. He doesn't come away feeling horrible or scared or sad. He is actually uplifted by a lot of the messages. And 
And it's not that I never find any fulfillment or that I'm never uplifted, but I have so many trigger words that it made being active in my faith oftentimes really actually difficult because there'd be times that I could be in sacrament meeting and just, you know, hear a talk on repentance. And maybe it talked about complete forgiveness, complete repentance, um, exactness, honesty, all these things. And I'm sitting there just feeling horrible. Like I, I need to go see my bishop again. I need to go over things again. I think if he knew things from this angle or this, these details, these facts need to come forward. I am not a worthy person. I just always perceived God as this punitive, punishing, all-searching, soul-searching, kind of a scary and unapproachable. I didn't like praying. I didn't want answers. I just was so hyper-vigilant about honesty that actually when my second child was about two years old, I told my spouse, I need to go back in. I need to confess some things to my priesthood leader but I'm really scared. Will you go with me? Will you sit through these interviews? And of course he's super supportive and he didn't really know what was going on with me either. It was like, Andy, you've already taken care of all these things. Why do you feel the need to do it again? But my OCD had really just come in full force to the point where I was taking physical lists of items that needed to be discussed on a piece of paper in to my priesthood leader and just going over. And I could say something and weeks later, still want to talk about the same thing, but I forgot to say two or three words or say it with this angle or with this emphasis, or maybe I didn't say how many times something happened or it it really was all consuming. And again, I didn't know I had scrupulosity or even OCD. I just thought I was trying to be overzealous, super virtuous. I was absolutely paranoid about not making it to the top of the celestial kingdom to be with my family forever. And that I needed to leave no stone unturned. I needed to divulge down to if I stole a pencil. I mean, it was, it was brutal. And it was really, really stressful to live with that. Wow. As somebody who stopped being religious, I would say I was around 20, around when I stopped seeing things the way I had as a child. I had a lot of eye-opening experiences right there in my early 20s. Maybe a lot of people are like me who aren't super attached to religion. And so as we listen to you, it sounds like self-torture in mm-hmm. many ways. Mm-hmm. It sounds super torturous for me, somebody who wants to always be comfortable. That's an important word for me. Who wants to always be clear? That's an important mm-hmm. word for me. And happy, uh, comfortable, clear, and happy are three of my key words for how I want to see myself and see life. And so I listen to this and not having any need for religion in my life, I'm feeling such empathy for you and, and going, oh my goodness, this is so torturous. Right. This is so harsh and horrible and sad and, and knowing how awesome you are and how kind you are and how sweet you are and how much fun you are. I am left going, stop the torture of my friend. Right. (laughs) Did it feel torturous for you? I know that that took a long time to get to that question, but I think it needed that backup of my perspective and my perspective on you and then feeling like concern for you because I want you also to feel happy and comfortable and clear. Right. So I've, I don't know, I feel like I'm skipping around, backtracking years and then skipping forward. After I had, this was at least a decade ago where I had seen this particular priesthood leader who was actually just an awesome person and and it actually helped in a lot of ways. But I had about three clear years of feeling pretty good and then it just started to slowly creep back in again. And it, it got so bad that I actually about three years or so ago was suicidal and I just knew I'm like, okay, something's wrong with me. I'm this mom. I have this amazing life. I have this faith that is supposed to be this beautiful thing that brings us joy and happiness. And everybody testifies of that. Why am I not feeling it? I really felt like I struggled to feel the spirit in my life. And so I really had to decide if I was going to go like into a treatment center, work with a therapist. And I actually met a lady who turned, I, 
I wish I could remember the name of the book, but it was just a phrase in the book that had said not to give power or attention to it. And I used to sit in my closet for hours. I'd say bye to my kids. They'd go to school and I would go sit in my closet because a thought would pop into my head about something from my past or one of these thoughts or concepts, you know, one of these ways that I was feeling towards uh, God or, or something I had read or something that had really set me off. And I would spend hours in my closet cataloging, sorting through, just trying to solve it like a Rubik's cube and it can't be solved. But the amount of anxiety and guilt and shame and fear that is attached to it is so overwhelming that you really do just feel completely empty and hopeless and scared. So after meeting this lady, that was the first person I had ever met that also struggled with kind of her own flavor and brand of scrupulosity. Hers was a little bit different. It had a little different twist to it, but it was very similar. She was also very tortured by her experiences and the thoughts and the feelings that came with her scrupulosity. And it's only been recently that I've been meeting and realizing that there are so many other people that actually struggle with scrupulosity in my own faith, things that I've read online, many different faiths, or like I said, you could be of no faith and still have an overzealous desire to be perfectly honest, or you just have to be perfect in these areas, or it just, it does, it really does kind of torture you. I've had to learn to take that step back and force myself not to give power or attention to the thoughts. And that is probably honestly one of the hardest things that I've ever done. But the more I could just keep moving forward and push past the thoughts, not allow myself to give any attention to it whatsoever, because I think it does feed it. If you stop and give the, the attention to it, it just grows, it feeds it. So you have to quit, you have to break those behaviors. And that helped me to kind of get my head above the clouds, so to speak, to go, oh, this stuff is slowly fading away if I don't think about it. I mean, I, I feel like it's kind of always there. It's just one step behind me. If I were to right now give power to it and start dwelling on it, thinking about it, it would be right back mm. in a second. As would a lot of negative things. A lot like, of negative things, Like all yes. you got to do is shine the flashlight on them and then they're right there. Exactly. My, you know, my husband used to try to help me by, he'd hold a pebble to his, he'd say, hold this pebble up to your eye. What do you see? And I'm like, well, I don't see anything. I just see the pebble. And he's like, now drop it. And I would drop the pebble and he goes, now, what do you see? And I'm like, oh, well, I see this. I see that. And I'd list all these things. And he said, when you are in this mindset, thinking of these little perceived problems, all you, that's all you see that that's, it just consumes you. But if you would just set it down for a minute, you could see the beauty in everything in your whole life. I feel like, you know, I've had supportive people around me, I, which has helped. And I have tried to maintain a level of my faith. I still have a lot of triggers and things to work through. So I've just had to completely reframe God for me. It's, it's more about this person just loves me unconditionally every day, irregardless of any mistakes or any of that stuff. It's just a whole new view on God, period. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just, I'm navigating a limited level of faith the best that I can and just doing it in a way that works for me with, I feel like, you know, my issues with scrupulosity. Hmm. You saying that reminds me of one of my siblings. She used to be LDS and in a way she had that taken from her because she was a little bit zealous, a little bit over the top. When um, that was kind of taken from her, she had to re-decide, re-navigate. I should just go ahead and not be cryptic by having it taken from her, she had made the comment about being more comfortable praying to Heavenly Mother than praying to her Heavenly Father. Just that statement went to her bishop, which then went to her stake president, which then turned into meetings, which they then said, you need to renounce your beliefs. And she's like, wait a minute, I've been told about Heavenly Mother all my life. And so my decision to pray to her doesn't really need to involve anybody, nor is it like wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. And they stood their ground. And so they took away her temple recommend. Oh, and if okay. you're LDS, you know that right. visiting the temple is a really big deal. Big deal and you yeah. have to have that recommend in order to do it. 
So in removing that from her, they were literally pulling her religion away from her, which was incredibly hurtful. At the time, she's this person who her relationship with the divine is a big deal. She has to redraw it. She has to refigure it out and relabel it and see it anew because these other individuals who are part of the same faith are the ones doing this in the name of them being the ones who know how to do it correctly. I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but okay. as I listen to you and you talk about having to re-navigate, I experienced that on a personal level with a sibling watching her re-navigate. Of course, I come back to my own perspective in my own life and I, I very much feel that spirituality, and I don't even like to use the word religion anymore, my spirituality is mine to decide. Mm-hmm. Like n- my relationship with the divine, I call, I call God, I don't call God, God. I call it the organizing force. Right. Because of how I see it. I don't see it as male or female. And so my relationship with that divine entity is mine alone. Having removed myself from religion so far, I listen to you and I'm like, yeah, you absolutely should decide what that looks like. Yeah. Um, I feel so strongly about that because that's the frame of mind that I'm in. I mm-hmm. decide where it is. I decide what's important, you know, and every single one of us has that right. Right. And and none of us are right and none of us are wrong because every one of us has that freedom to create that relationship with the divine. Well, I've met so many people over the past few years of so many different faiths and backgrounds and belief systems or agnostic, atheist. We're a human family, first and foremost, and it's about treating people with kindness and love. Everybody does have the right to navigate where they put their faith. They get to decide if they want to exercise faith in a particular religion, or some people are all about nature or just whatever it is. I think for me, I do still find value in some of the specific teachings of my LDS faith. And that is where I do exercise some faith, but I definitely live it at a non-cookie cutter, one-size-fits-all level. I certainly would maybe even be viewed by others as, I mean, some people might look at me and go, oh, Andy's not very active. Maybe she's left the church, which which isn't true. I'm not as active as I used to be. And I probably do some things that might be frowned upon or not seen as living like the super top, you know, high standards. But I think when I come from a place of literally considering taking my life, mm-hmm. I'm just so happy to be alive now and be in a good headspace. I feel so much healthier with the way I am approaching God and navigating my faith the best that I can. And I I really always say I give myself permission to change my mind anytime I want. I can't say where I'll be two months from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, but I'll be damned if I'm going to be pigeonholed into one specific thing. I like the flexibility of going, you know what, maybe it's a midlife crisis thing in my 40s, but my emotions are all over the map, my day to day. I think we just have to give ourselves more grace and flexibility to figure out our lives and our paths and our journey. And it's just different for everybody. What you're describing, your realization that perfection doesn't exist What you just said basically says there is no perfection and I'm going to do me and I'm going to be the best me and I'm going to change my mind sometimes and I'm going to have good days and bad days and and I'm alive. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think that perfection exists here and I don't want to meet people that are overzealously trying to CTR 24-7. It's not reality it's toxic to the person to constantly be so stressed out about trying to be perfect that we just need at least just reframing it and having a little bit of a different approach has been refreshing and really has helped me with my mental health and in so many aspects of my life by just taking the time to say, you know what, I don't have to agree with everything that's said. I actually can navigate my life and do it this way because 
I'm doing what's best for me and my family. And so again, and it could just be the way that I interpreted things because two people can hear something and one person goes, I didn't get that from that at all. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this spiraled me into the abyss of just anxiety and negative thoughts and feeling just like total garbage about myself. And so it's been really interesting. I had a friend more recently who told me about a situation in her family. They listened to a podcast. It was one of John Dillon's podcasts on scrupulosity where he's interviewing. I'd have to pull it up, but he's interviewing this gentleman on his scrupulosity. This gentleman was serving his LDS mission and just talked about how he tried to navigate. And I mean, before I even listened to the podcast, just reading the comment section, I was sobbing in tears because I could relate to so much of it. It's, it can get so wacky where you're showering and you don't even want to wash your private parts because you think if you wash yourself too long, you've got to go in and confess that you've masturbated or you know, it just so many wacky, wacky things. It could just even be a simple word out of a scripture like exactness or God cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. That's a scripture that everybody reads. But for some reason, when I read it, I'm like, I am so filled with sin. And I can't even imagine how Heavenly Father feels towards me. I'm unworthy all the time. I, I just would take everything so black and white, so literal that is kind of the mind of somebody who has this form of OCD and it's maddening. Yeah. It's sad to hear from somebody who I, in some ways I wish I were more OCD. I mean, you walked around my house with me, you saw all my projects and stuff. And I know how many corners I cut just because I'm going to point to a project in the room that we're sitting in. Even just this door here, I knew what I wanted, but I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it. I I had the pieces. I had the concept in my mind. I screwed it together, put decorative nails on it, hung it up. Bam. I don't want to be exacting. I know what I want. And I just cobble, cobble, cobble. Done. Right. Coming from that mindset of, I don't have the patience for perfection, but I know what I'm after. Right. And so I really could do with... <laughs> Being pickier, having a little more OCD. And yet, as I analyze it, I think it wouldn't bring me happiness. Ultimately, I wouldn't be happier about that door if I had spent more time on it fluffing around as I got what I was after. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm plenty happy enough with it as it is. And would it ultimately have made me happier to have been more obsessed in the creation, in the, in the anything? Probably not. I think it's possible that allowing the not picky, the not OCD to just live over on the side and not shine the flashlight on it, like you said earlier, um, is a healthy thing to do. And one of the things that comes to my mind, and I don't even know if this is a scripture, it just comes back from my religious upbringing, is moderation in all things. I actually have written about the fact that anything in extreme is unhealthy. Like it almost doesn't matter what word you pull out. If we look at it in an extreme environment or in extreme quantities, it's unhealthy. Too little can be unhealthy and too much is unhealthy. And and because we're all different, for me, what amount is healthy especially considering sanity, not just my own physical health. Like, for example, tobacco smoke. I said to you earlier that my whiplash has been bothering me and I have found that smoking a cigar, just enough tobacco. And and if my ex-husband were to hear this, he'd be like, you what? (laughs) Because I hate the smell. But I have found that it's one of the few things, tobacco, that will ease my neck weirdly, it's such a strange thing to even say that. And one of the reasons that comes to mind is because I have this cigar sitting next to me um, from a few days ago when I was hurting. And I keep getting whiffs of it (laughs) as it sits here in this ashtray. Part of me can't even believe I'm admitting that, that I have a cigar here in my recording studio. (laughs) But the reality is moderation in all things. And if I'm in severe pain, I might need to consider something outside of my norm 
in a small amount or in a moderate amount that can help. I don't have a black and white mind. Yes. I'm so willing to say, could I, should I, what Mm -hmm. would be smart? What would be harmful? The moderation in all things. Am I wrong? Isn't that a scripture or is that just a teaching? It is a concept that's taught. And I think, I mean, well, gosh, there's so many discussions for other times. I'm open-minded to all of the natural things we have available too. And I think we're seeing that coming and, and maybe down the line, there'll even be, you know, some, some changes or more openness to natural products that will... In your religion? Yeah. Well, marijuana is going to be legalized for certain purposes. And, you know, plenty of people start their day with a dirty Dr. Pepper and a swig cookie. Whereas I really like to have espresso, which is not in line with our word of wisdom. But in the LDS faith, in the LDS faith, but I would rather put that in my body than a Red Bull, a monster drink, a bang. There's just so many products on the market that have fillers and they're garbage. But caffeine has actually been a, a huge thing that's helped me. And I would rather take that above even an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think each person just has to navigate. Now there are, there are rules in my faith. So if I'm not living a particular way, I do have to face the consequences on that. Maybe I would not be able to obtain a temple recommend because I do have some espresso. I'll be crossing that bridge at some point when I have to discuss that. I just think it's like I I said before, it's not necessarily cookie cutter, one size fits all. You just kind of have to learn to navigate your life. And I feel like before when I was so in the mindset with scrupulosity, I always thought I was feeling the spirit that it was telling me this and telling me that. And I constantly wanted reassurance from my spouse. And he'd say, why would the spirit be saying this? Or why do you feel like you're being told this? Interestingly enough, once I really did just try my hardest to not put any focus or attention, no more focus on these thoughts when they popped in, it was like the hardest thing, but I would just push forward. Even if it felt like sandbags on my legs, push forward, push forward, push forward. And the more I pushed forward, interestingly enough, I never got any of those thoughts or feelings anymore. I never had this feeling of, oh, the spirit's telling me this, oh, this or oh, that. All of that just dissipated and went away when I stopped giving power and attention to this overzealous weird expectations and all these things that I thought about myself or my situation. So once I just moved forward, that all went bye-bye. I haven't had a single experience like that since. I actually feel like in my faith, I feel closer to my Savior, to Heavenly Father through just moving forward. That was really an answer to prayer for me. It was like, you just need to move forward. But I have an overactive mind that wasn't really paying attention to that message. I just was felt trapped. I felt stuck. I always describe it like a, you know, a a rat in those little mazes where you're just constantly bumping your head up against this wall and you just can't break free. You can't figure out how to get out of it. A lot of people will go, they'll do therapy. They'll do in treatment work. They'll take an antidepressant or anti-anxieties or a cocktail of different things to help them. And, you know, to each their own, if that's what helps somebody, mine was more just exercising, not giving power and attention to those thoughts, drinking some caffeine. And I really did put a a lot of emphasis on getting healthy, eating better, exercising. I ended up losing 70 pounds. So that all of that, I feel like has been a contributing factor of I don't know that I can say it's gone. I'm completely healed. It feels kind of like a healing in a sense, but at least I feel like it's at bay. I have it in check. I just, if thoughts try to bubble in, I just move forward. I just stop. I don't give any more attention to the thoughts. I keep moving forward. And that's when it just melts away. It goes away. And I'm like, oh, this was the secret sauce for me was Mm -hmm. eating healthy, exercising, this caffeine in my life and not giving power to the crazy thoughts. I love that you say it that way, that this was the secret sauce for me, because your secret sauce isn't going to be anybody else's secret sauce. Exactly. And it's awesome that you're willing to to go, here it is. This is my secret sauce. Yeah. Wow. I applaud anybody, 
anybody being A, willing to figure that out and B, figuring it out. Right. Just the willingness alone is awesome. But the figuring it out is another and go, you know what? I'm not like you. And I know that that's stating the obvious, but apparently a lot of us need that. I'm not just like you. I'm me and I've got to do me and I've got to find my own sanity. I've got to find my own path, my own comfort. Right. And get to know me and then operate within the framework that keeps me healthy. Absolutely. Yeah, it it is. What works for one doesn't always work for another. I feel like I have figured out what really helps me best. And it it could be different for other people that suffer. They might really find a lot of help through therapy or through medications. And um, this has just kind of been a more natural, holistic approach to it. But it really has done wonders for me and, and allowed me to not completely give up on my faith. I'm, like I said, I do it at a level that works for me and it's, it's just going to look different on everybody. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to say about coffee, I've said before that I work in a coffee shop. For me, I don't even notice the level of caffeine that I'm drinking. And so I don't actually equate caffeine and maybe it is, but I don't equate caffeine with my, I'll say benefit of drinking coffee. Irrespective of being in a coffee shop, I'm still drinking coffee here at home. And one of my favorite things every day is to make myself a cup of coffee and sit down and enjoy the moments, not like sit there and like worship that cup Right. In that mug in my hand or what's in it. It's a calmness. It's a calmness that I know I need, that I totally love. It makes me feel present. So do I need the caffeine? Like hell, I could be brewing decaf. That doesn't even matter. Coffee for me represents a calming, present, bringing thing. And so for me to even think about it being something that's outside of somebody's religion as being a bad thing and me experiencing it as such an amazing, important thing in life. Yeah. What a shame. There are people out there who aren't experiencing the beauty that I experience in a morning when I sit down and I'm just like, yep, right now is the time that I sit with my dog and my cup of coffee and I, and I be present. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a struggle because like I said, in my faith, that is not a sanctioned thing. It's not something that's, uh, we are asked to abstain from those things. Why? I don't know that I know all the whys on it other than I get frustrated personally because I will see that other people will put garbage into their body in the form of, you know, cookies and donuts and lots of pop and soda and Burgers. tons of caffeine and eat unimaginable amounts of sugar and other things that cause all kinds of health problems in their body. I don't understand all the whys and hows and those that are obedient just go with it. They're like, we've been asked to do this. This is what we do. But for me, I actually had my first espresso in Europe last year. This was less than a year ago. And it was like you described, it was kind of a beautiful experience. And I noticed that the caffeine really gave me just a slight, subtle uplift So I really use my coffee as an antidepressant because I have weird views on pharmaceutical pills. So I would rather not take something. (laughs) I would rather not put an antidepressant in my body with all the side effects, including suicide warnings on the label. And I've taken, I've taken antidepressants before and they just didn't do it for me. I ended up gaining a lot of weight. I actually was more depressed. Uh, Coming off them was hell, I got those weird brain zaps where you just feel that buzzy sensation. So I've gone that route. Now I know antidepressants work for a ton of people. So I'm not trying to, you know, totally put that down. But for me personally, I feel like I have the right to have stewardship over my body, what I want to put in it. No different than when marijuana is legalized, there'll be those that have a script card that say, I choose to put this in my body to help my anxiety or my pain or my autism or my multiple sclerosis or whatever it is, whatever the same, you know, the, the acceptable reasons are. And I think we'll just see it become more and more widely available. I think we just, it would be nice to be able to have more stewardship over what we put in our body. I do, I do kind of go like, oh, okay, this person can have a dozen chocolate chip cookies out of the oven and they're still seen as a worthy vessel 
and because they're obedient to, but I don't drink tea and coffee. I weigh 300 pounds. I don't exercise, but I, I don't do this or this, but it's okay to do all this other stuff. Whereas I'm like, look, I really try to exercise. I try to eat healthy. I'm honestly the healthiest I've ever been. I used to be really heavy. I was obese for 20 years. And so I do have the coffee in my life and I love it. It's everything you described and more. It's more of an experience and also the uplift. It It is a form of clearing out depression for me. I guess people could say, well, you're just justifying. And I, you're right. I absolutely freaking am because it's amazing. But it, I do associate it with helping me in a, with a combination of eating healthier, moving my body, breathing, being out in nature. That is what's worked for me. I can't say it would work for somebody else. I don't even want to, I'm not trying to encourage others to get out there and be a coffee drinker. If you don't, don't. If you do, you do. It's just, it would be nice not to feel judged by your community because somebody did see you order a coffee or something so silly as that. But that's just where I'm at on my path. But those are the things that have greatly helped me shift my focus and not spend so much time on this scrupulosity, all these weird thoughts and being so overzealous. And maybe my pendulum has swung out a little further in the opposite direction. And for me, it just feels liberating to just be the core of who Andy is you know? and not worry about the opinions of neighbors, friends, family. I mean, you have to let a lot of that go and go, you know what? The most important thing for me and no one's walked a mile in my shoes, nor have I walked in their shoes. But the most important thing for me is my family being alive, being here, taking breath, enjoying the sunshine, the outdoors, and navigating my life in a way that feels right for me. Yeah. I want every person on the planet, irrespective of religion, irrespective of anything, to be able to reach that point where they are able to say, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of me. Right. I am the one who needs to think good of me. Exactly. I need to have a good opinion of myself. Right. We live with ourselves in our heads, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yes. So we have to get to a positive place because we do kind of bombard ourselves with negative chatter. I read somewhere that we have, I don't know, it was like 600 thoughts a day. And it's those few hundred thoughts that, that just really do shape you. So I've definitely had to kind of dig out of a negative place and I'm holding on for now. That's kind yeah. of where I'm at. You saying that reminds me of neuroplasticity and the fact that what you concentrate on and think about will build your thoughts and create who you are. Right. So what's going on in your head in silence that other people don't hear is a big deal. It really is for, for you. Right. It's a huge deal for you. Well, it actually creates pathways in our brain. And so if we want to make changes, we actually have to have new thoughts. We have to create new grooves in our brain, new, new paths. Yeah. And it is not easy because I, I always say, I think we kind of come here as a blank sheet of paper and our parents and our loved ones do the best they can pouring into us their perceptions, their values, the things that they hold dear, the things that they think are important, the way they want to parent. And all of us, same thing with what I'm doing with my kids. I've done the same thing. I've poured into them all the things that I think are important. But I essentially, I've had a lot of discussions with my kids recently about like, they really do have to figure some things out for themselves because they've learned an awful lot from me and, and their dad. But they kind of need to learn to navigate and make a lot of choices and figure things out for themselves instead of it being a cookie cutter way of living and thinking and doing. And yeah, yeah, free to be themselves with absolutely zero judgment. Yeah, good. That's healthy. That's really healthy. So going back to the podcast you listened to with John DeLynn, Let's reference that so that people can listen to it. If it affected you so much that even just reading the comments. Uh, John Dillon had interviewed, I think it was Eric Langford. I think I just got on YouTube or just typed it in John Dillon, uh, Eric Langford, Scrupulosity. Okay. And it came up and I think it's, it might even be a two-part podcast, very in-depth. And it's not like tearing down 
the faith or anything like that. It's just a straightforward podcast on well, scrupulosity. John Dillon, what I love about him is his willingness to go, we're all welcome to, to believe what we want to believe. But it is true that scrupulosity is becoming more discussed. It definitely is. I think there's more light is being shed on this because I think we live in a highly dense population. There, there's a lot of LDS people here. There's there's a lot of different faiths here too. And I think that I'm just meeting so many people now that have struggled in a very similar way or their own little twist to it. I was actually in a health food store a few months back and I overheard some a couple of guys talking about conference. We had just had LDS conference and I kind of walked in with buying some bulk food and overheard their conversation and I kind of got in on a little bit of it with them. And one of the gentlemen that actually was talking said, oh, usually when conference is on, I like flush my toilet and clink dishes around and, and open my dryer and shut it and, you know, kind of went on and on. And I literally teared up because that is the exact same kind of stuff I used to do just because I was so terrified of these trigger words making me, it would just, it spirals you for weeks. But I feel like we're, we're talking about it more. And like I said, not everybody, some people could just shake their head in disbelief and think, what are you talking about? These messages are beautiful and they're amazing and uplifting. And I feel the spirit and it just fires me up and I'm on a spiritual high. And I think people who don't struggle with, with mental illness issues, maybe don't have that clouding. And for them, they just completely get something else, see something else, feel something else from the exact same message. Like I said, my spouse, we could sit and listen to the same thing and he'll look over and be like, oh, I watched you just sinking into the couch. The whole demeanor of you just drain into just despair. And I'm sitting here going, I don't get it. Like, for certain people, they will have something trigger them that can just spiral them into such a mood or a funk for days, weeks. You fixate on it. You can't think about anything else. You think you're going to hell. You're totally stressed out about any mistake. For me, it was just this obsession with making amends for every little thing that I had ever done in my life. Was I going to need to like make letters, knock on doors, wow. um, countless apologies? I mean, I've I've done things that People are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like I've, I've probably caused more harm and damage by saying I took this 17 years ago or, you know, where people are like, you're weird. Please don't contact me kind of a thing. But you have to, your OCD demands it. Like you, the anxiety will not go away unless you appease all the things that, that the obsession is asking you to do. So if that is writing letters, knocking on doors, going into establishments, saving up your money to pay this person back with interest, of course, because over years, interest would add up, you know, oh, wow. but yeah, you are, it is a perfectionism with, for me, it was a perfectionism in confessing and repenting. It needed to be perfect or otherwise it wasn't exact. It wasn't good enough. You the savior won't it accept heaven. it because you're hiding something. You're lying a little bit. You're, you're not being forthcoming. You're being deceptive. You have your pet sins, you're picking on the buffet table of how far are you willing to go for the Lord and for your religion, and you've got to sacrifice it all. Certain books or articles really didn't help. Things that have actually been taken off bookstore shelves that were suggested reading that I read as a young adult. Just, I think concepts would get in my head and I would see it in such a bizarre, weird black and white way, whereas other people are like, parlay for pirates, and I'm like, no! It has, it's this one way, you know. Yeah, I've got siblings that are really laid back and chill and they're like, I don't know why you get your panties in an uproar where I'm like, oh no, it has to be this one way. So admittedly with scrupulosity, those it, it's my perception because it's not that I don't think things in my faith are beautiful. I just think I muck it up with mental illness issues. Yeah. Well, and the majority of us have issues. One form or another, Amen whether they that. were handed to us or they just came about on their own. Yeah. We are all complex creatures. And so navigating who we are and how we can be healthy is just that navigation. Yes. And so, and I'm just glad that we are kind of figuring, I think scrupulosity is, I don't know if it's a newer thing that's being talked about. Maybe there's just a plethora of information on it, but it's a newer thing for me discovering that I actually had this weird form of OCD. And that's what was driving all these thoughts and obsessions. 
Well, and you said to me the other day that you uh, learned of more people yes. who have it that are local. And so yes. that's no coincidence. I am meeting actually a lot of people. And now I'm discovering there's support groups, there's counseling, and there's, I just barely on Instagram stumbled across a couple that had started a page. I think it's living with scrupulosity and they both have it. I actually messaged and said, I'm curious which one of you has scrupulosity. I was wondering if it was the husband or the wife, because I think it's so interesting to find men that have it. I'd only ever known the one lady that had it. And then now I'm meeting more and more and they actually, most of them are male. So, hmm. um, yeah, it, it's just interesting, but this is a husband and a wife that are navigating their faith, their LDS faith with scrupulosity. And it's just funny to read some of the things they'll, they'll talk about how they'll force, you know, one of the rules they'll have is we can't apologize to each other for a week. They'll have to go a full week, you know? these things that normally you want to incessantly pray, incessantly imp- apologize. And so they are learning to do some of these exposure techniques. And it's just nice to go, oh my gosh, there's pages now dedicated to this. There's, I'm sure, forums and so many articles, tons of information out there, which is, it's helpful. Yeah. I love connection. I love meeting people who have commonalities to me because we are all so different. I think that's why it's so fun when you find somebody who is into something you're into or who struggles with something you struggle with or who loves something that you also love. I connect with people over photography. I connect with people over DIY. I connect with people over podcasts. (laughs) I love connection. We need it in all aspects of our life, even over the things we struggle with. Yes. So it's validating that anytime you meet somebody who can relate to you on a specific level, it validates and it makes you feel less alone. And this is important. Yes. It makes you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Yeah. Because sometimes we feel so alone in our trials and our struggles and that nobody would understand or used to think, well, I'm just a crazy lady because I've, I've, I don't even know what this is. It's, I'm not washing my hands. I'm not stepping over cracks. I'm not organizing my closet a certain way. What the heck is this? I'm obsessively confessing of sins and spending hours trying to read scriptures and prayer and do all these things to make this go away. And and I'm feeling all these confusing feelings and having all these crazy thoughts. And then finally to put a label to it and meet other people that also struggle in very similar ways. You go, oh my gosh, I am not alone. There are so many of us that I'm discovering that struggle in one form or another with with this type of thing. You know, I have to say, it, it, it's like how you mentioned we met, you work in a coffee shop, nobody knows a single thing about you. I come into your home, you've built these sliding barn doors, you've built shelves, you've remodeled bathrooms, you've decorated your you, you are amazing with these do-it-yourself projects. And Nobody knows that about you. <laughs> Nobody knows things about me. We don't know things about each other. That's why I've just tried so hard lately to push the message of kindness and connection, like you said, because everybody struggles. We don't even know the first thing about people that we meet it's or true. even people we think we know, even our family members, right under our noses sometimes in our own families, our children, our siblings, our parents, people struggle with stuff and we need to be empathetic and compassionate and and show kindness, even if we don't even have an inkling or have the first particle of understanding what they could be going through, because it's maybe not something we struggle with. If we could just have more patience and kindness towards each other, because each, each one of us is so amazing in our own ways and we don't even know it because we know nothing about each other. Yeah, it's important. I've been writing a lot about respect lately. So many things in life I see as if we were willing to respect everybody has their own life to live. Everybody has their own struggles that they're going through. Everybody's different. And yet we do have similarities. If we could just pull out more respect right, in that perspective, I think we could benefit so much more. Absolutely. Our interactions could improve. Our self-esteem could improve. Right. Pulling out respect is a really big deal. And it sounds funny to say it's not actually difficult. It just right. has to be a choice. It's true. When you were talking that, that came at me. 
Also something I keep forgetting to say, which is going to sound like um, changing the subject, but because I keep forgetting it, I want to throw it in. And that is, I have been reading a book called The Master Key System. It was written in 1910 by Charles Hanel. It's about the conscious and the subconscious and how the mind is the conscious and the subconscious actually derives from the solar plexus. Long story short, so much of what we've been saying today is coming from the conscious mind. And I think it's worth just throwing out there because I have been reading the book that when we can quiet the conscious mind and allow the subconscious to come through and in a way have a say. The thing about the subconscious mm-hmm. is it's mm-hmm. not, it's not insisting. It's more radiating, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so are you willing to hold still enough for the radiation to reach you, to communicate to other parts of you? The conscious mind is the one that is going, this memory, that memory, this has to happen. This needs mm-hmm. to get fixed. This mm-hmm. I didn't hear. I didn't there. I didn't the other. And so by keeping that conscious mind so loud, you're allowing it to take over and your subconscious has zero ability to help you or for you to benefit from it. After every chapter in this book, and I'm not that far in simply because after every chapter, you're given an exercise. The very first one is just sit still and try not to move your limbs or any of your body and try to do it for 15 to 30 minutes. Just sit still and be in control of your limbs, essentially. It doesn't, it's not even like a difficult exercise. Then at the end of the second chapter, it's, okay, do that. Only this time, be in control of your thoughts and try not to move those thoughts. It's almost impossible and you will only succeed for moments at a time because that's the way we are. It's fascinating As I'm reading this, and I'm reading it from somebody who wrote it in 1910, the perspective is so useful and so awesome and so incredible, and it's unadulterated by modern day. He's not taking into account cell phones. He's not taking into account computers. He's not taking... How busy we are. Yeah. It's absolutely all about the conscious and the subconscious, and he's addressing those specifically. So anyway, I would highly recommend just as a possible tool, let's even just call it a tool. This Mm -hmm. book is a useful tool for all of us because none of us are perfect and all of us need help. We all have issues. We all have trauma as a way to allow what's deep inside to help us Mm -hmm. and not allow the conscious brain to run just kind of squelch it down and yeah kind of listen, yeah listen and so that your... that has jumped into my mind many times and so i did think i should say that i should say yeah. that and yeah i hijacked so that i could say well, that no, I, I i do think meditation yoga so i do a lot of stretching i think anything we can do to kind of just calm down for a little while like you said and just kind of be present and not thinking of the million things we've got to do tomorrow and the million things that need to get done today, but just take a few moments to just be and exist and breathe, pay attention to your breathing. Yeah. Kind of calm your mind and listen. Probably everything we need is just right in there, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's different. Those answers are going to be different for each person. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast yesterday about this man who has a show. It was on Amazon prime and then it was on Netflix. And so obviously I'm, I don't watch anything like that. Um, so I, I'm absolutely ignorant to the program, but what he was talking about, he uses his intuition a lot to help him decide who he's going to communicate with because he's constantly in the show asking others to help him succeed in his mode of travel. He's asking others for a place to stay. He's asking others for gas money. He's asking others for help. If I had seen the show, I'd probably remember the name of the show, but I think it's maybe useful to not have any of the details too. Just this relying on his gut Mm -hmm. when asked questions about how he succeeds and does he do what's sensible over what he feels like he should do. And he admitted, I've learned that feeling what I should do Mm -hmm. is always the right thing to Mm do. Mm -hmm. Whereas thinking what I should do isn't always the right thing that I should do. And I was really pleased for that man in the moments that he said that I'm like, yes, right. 
you got it. You know, I want to be there. I want, I aim for that to know almost instinctively. And that's kind of the wrong word, but from some other location other than my brain. This could get us going on energy, vibes, intuition, intonation, (laughs) all of it. Because I think, don't you feel the energy between people who are you, maybe he just feels, he feels something. I, I definitely feel the flow of energy, even based on my own moods. Yeah. But when I interact with people. Yeah. That's interesting. One of the things that has pleased me um, that I've heard you say as you are navigating your journey and your spirituality is your willingness to talk to strangers. And I love to listen to you talk about the fact that you are so willing. And now that you're doing things like going to the gym. You know, I'm, right. I'm somebody who's never entered a gym and I never want to enter a gym. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, yes, it does scare me, but I'm also super anti-judgment. And right. so in my mind, I've built this place of gyms being a place of judgment. And so right. it's already a place I don't want to go, which I right. absolutely acknowledge that I, I'm talking out my ass because yeah. I have an opinion about something I've never done. So I totally acknowledge that. But I look at you who goes to the gym who talks to all these people and I listen to your stories of new open-mindedness. Yes. I feel so pleased for you. Yeah. I de- that's definitely been a, a healing factor is coming out of a place of fear, only wanting to associate with people that I thought were good and, and fit a certain mold. And now I have had and met, I've met the most amazing people everywhere. I just talk to people everywhere I go and it drives my husband a little bit bonkers. We'll go to Costco and I hug half the workers and the people there and I know I'm on a first name basis. And That's cool. He's just, it doesn't matter where we go. He goes, how do you know these people? Why do you, why? And I'm like, I don't know, Aaron. I just like to talk to people. I love to connect with people. I think connection's important. Kindness is important. Conversation, listening to people, like literally listening to people and I love it. I love it. And and I have a social personality. So that probably comes a little easier for me than it maybe would my spouse or people that are more introverted. Maybe I'm a little more extroverted, but yeah, just non-judgment doesn't matter what uh-huh. you look like, what your beliefs are, where you live, what you do. I've let all that go. Yeah. And I'm not blaming any person or anything or any organization for that. It's just the way I was conducting my life, being in this kind of safe zone and wanting to keep my kids bottled up in this safe zone with the baby gates around them 24-7. And now I'm like, that. it's just no way to live life. You've got to get out there and experience life, actually freaking live it. Because I don't want at the end of my life to be like, wow, I, I lived my life more worried about what did the neighbors think? What did my family think? What did the bishop think? What did the ward members think? What did the community members think? What about this? What that, about that? That's I not don't even give a, life. a damn what anybody thinks. I've got one life to live and I intend to live it. And it, it might infuriate a lot of people. And sometimes that can even be your parents. You can unfortunately let people down that go, oh, I I expected it to look this way on you. I raised you this way. We We poured this into you. And I just have to do what feels right in, in my soul. And I get to navigate it. So that's where it's at for me. And I just feel happier than I ever have as far as relaxing, being more open, being more positive. I am so grateful to be in the place that I am right now. And I I hope I never take it for granted because with mental illness issues and just you never know what life's going to deal you. So it could change on a dime, you know, but I'll I'll take it where it's at right now. It pleases me to hear you say that because having worked in a coffee shop for six years, I know what connecting with people is like and what setting judgment down can do. I've watched customers go from resting bitch face to (laughs) as excited as can be that I'm working that day that they come simply because they feel and see I don't judge them, that I'm happy to see them, that I see them for them being them. And that isn't dependent upon their looks. That isn't dependent upon anything, what they drive, what they, anything. To hear you talk about it in your travels and in your even grocery shopping, for you to also have experienced that. I'm like, oh, she knows what that feels like. And that's, that's so exciting for me. It's a good, it's a nice place to be. It It really is. It feels really good. 
I feel like a different person. I mean, I, and I always say I, I can never Rubik's cube it back to where I was. I will never go back to the person that I was. I can't, you move through doors and those doors are closed. So it's just about forging forward and continuing on this path. And it takes twists and turns all the time. That's the one thing I've really discovered is that I think it was a control issue. And it's like, you cannot control you, you can try as you might to be perfect and to control everything around you. And then it just crumbles like a deck of cards. It, it, you can't control it. You need to just flow and move and evolve and change. And it's just shifting and moving all the time. And I think that's what makes life so beautiful. Yeah. It's not constant. It's constantly changing. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm pleased to hear that you, you see that. Close-mindedness is not a happy place to live or be. And so the more open we can become, the more inevitably happy we become. Yes. So I agree. Yay, you, Andy. <laughs> Thanks for coming and sitting with me today. Thank I really you appreciate for having this. Me. If it reaches even one other person that struggles with scrupulosity, that would make me happy to go, oh, I'm not alone. I hope it helps somebody out there. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Thank you so much. Thank you.